Welcome to Trail and Error, a look at the trail running world from the podium to the pack with your hosts, Jay Grady and Tristan Stevenson. We decided to start our own trail running podcast to talk to the people we find interesting in the trail and ultra running world, to find out their highs and lows, their momentous successes and their abject failures, and to perhaps give us all a little bit of inspiration to take on some adventures and challenges of our own. We'll be speaking to runners and athletes, race directors and coaches, sports nutritionists and doctors to get the best out of our own running and hopefully yours too. We hope you enjoy the podcast and if you do, please hit like and subscribe via all the normal podcast feeds. But for now, let's get on with the show. Okay, we are here uh, with Michael Stocks. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. Thanks. Thanks a lot. How are you guys doing? Good, thank you. Good. You good, Jay? All good. All good. Nice and rested. Lovely. Um, so, Michael, I've been really looking forward to this, uh, to having you on and chatting, um, partly for selfish reasons, which will become apparent very shortly, um, but partly because I am so intrigued by what you do and, and what everyone else who does these track 24-hour ultra, ultra distant race, distance races. Um because it just seems to me, it feels to me like it's the sort of purest expression of this ultra marathon sport where you have this monotony of just going round and round in a circle for 24 hours to see how far you can run. Um, why, why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> well, who, who could resist? I mean, you described it so <laughs> delightfully well. Um, you're right. It is in a lot of ways kind of the purest form of ultra running. Um, just because it, it's it's just about you and the time and what you can do with it. Um, there's no um, no hills to kind of change your tempo. There's no way to hide. You're running with the same people and you're seeing them all the time. So in a lot of ultras, someone will go storming off out back. Other other people will be kind of you're separated from 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 everyone else. Whereas on a track or a small circuit, you see the same people again and again. There's nowhere to hide, so everyone can see what's happening. If you're struggling, everyone sees it. But at the same time, it's like a chance to just express almost the joy of running because there's nothing else to do. You know, there's no view. There's no, um, there's no kind of, as I say, change in tempo because you're walking up a hill or anything. So, um, so yeah, it has its own kind of, I think, um, sort of special energy and, and – uh, and, and and majesty and, and rumor has it you're doing one pretty soon is that right yeah i'm my first one um in october i'm doing the gloucester track 24 mm-hmm. um there's only it seems to me there's only kind of two or three of them in this country that that really that, that there is um I, I don't know why that is I, I i mean perhaps you can probably explain but there's not a lot of them um there's the one that you have done in um tooting um, which is, is, seems to be pretty prestigious as far as I can tell. And then this Gloucester one, I don't know if there's any other ones in the UK, are there? There, there have been every now and then, but yeah, it's not, there's not a, a massive abundance. I'm just trying to think if there are any others. I mean, there's, there's some that aren't kind of registered for, um, for records and stuff like that, for things like Endure 24, mm. and, you know, where it's sort of more a trail event. 
but th- those courses aren't exactly measured, so they wouldn't count for you know, things like GB selection or official records and stuff. But yeah. I think one of the reasons is historically there weren't that many people who wanted to do it. So, um, but you know, that, I think that's changing a lot now. Uh, yeah. You've got more and more people trying to get into obviously the national teams and kind of get international vests because 24 hours, one of the international standards we've seen a lot of the top, like really, really good marathon runners in recent years trying to get, get into the team. Um, and I think it, it just, because ultra running is growing so much, then, you know, so are, so the elements of it and 24 hour being one of those, um, a lot of serious 24 hour runners go and race in other parts of the world so a lot of people go to the different ones all over europe or or in the u.s so i suppose when we as 24 hour runners kind of look at the calendar we're looking internationally as well not just not just in the uk Um, but i think there i think there's going to be a big growth in in these kind of races and in, in timed races generally because i think it is capturing people's imagination more and more yeah, I mean, it just feels like it's a slippery slope of endurance where, you know, you, you know, perhaps you start doing these road marathons or half marathons and then drift into 50Ks and maybe 100Ks. And I don't know, it's just a snowball effect. It feels like every time you complete one of these things, perhaps not minutes after, but certainly hours after, you're just looking for the next challenge and you want that challenge to be that little bit harder. And of course, once you start getting up to these sort of 24 and even 48 hour um, time trial type things, you really are starting, I, I imagine, to reach the sort of limits of human endurance, um, at least without sleep or, or you know, no sleep at all. Um, and it's, uh, I mean, that's certainly the way it feels to me. Um, you know, having done a hundred miler and a few hundred Ks and, and so on, it just feels like, right, what, you know, what, where do you go from there? Um, and that's, that's what I find sort of alluring about it. And, Plus, like, you know, we've already said that sort of purity of it. Um, the, it's a totally different set of challenges, isn't it, to say a sort of trail 100 miler or to even trail 24-hour race. Like you say, you, and those kind of races, you spend a lot of time on your own generally. I mean, sometimes perhaps you run with other people. But, you know, if you're, if you're at the front end of the pack, you're often on your own. Um, and whereas when you're running around a track, you're seeing your crew like every couple of minutes. Um, that must be such a temptation to just stop and chat and, you know, become a spectator rather than putting yourself through these, you know, horrible thing, this horrible thing that just, you know, is, you know hours ahead. Yeah, there's kind of a sort of an evolution, isn't there, um, of, of of things to do. So you sort of start, as like you say, with a short ultra and then you go, wow, you know, maybe 100K isn't the maddest idea and then, well, 100 miles isn't that much further, is it? And then so sort of things like 24 hours that once seemed absolutely absurd suddenly become interesting. And I think the more you understand something, the more the less strange, you know, they, that, that thing seems. And I, I think 24 hour race is one of those things. Um, it is absolutely unique. As you say, you can see your crew so often, uh, you see everybody else so often. Um, and it does take a certain, um, mental strength that is completely different to what doing a point to point hundred miler, for example, would, would require. And yes, there, there are, so many potential points of weakness where you might just decide to step off the track because you are right there. You're right near the car. You're right near the crew. You're right near sort of the end. Um, and it does, it does require a lot of mental strength to, to carry on. Um, I mean, you could just pull the plug at any minute basically. And you know, that, that would be it. Whereas with a trail, 
you know, with a long trail race, you, that, there's no option to do that most of the time because you're nowhere near a checkpoint most of the time. Um, and in many cases, nowhere near a road or like civilization at any time. So it just must be such a temptation, especially when it starts getting really tough. Yeah, your, your bad patches are there, you know, as you say, right near the opportunity to do something about them. Whereas if you're stuck on the top of a mountain, you can cry, but you have to carry on and get <laughs> home. So it does make it, it, does make it harder. Um, and, and you mentioned earlier kind of it being a, a very sort of on the edge of endurance. I think one of the things that makes a, a 24 hours so difficult is it's, it's obviously incredibly long, but it's also short enough that you have to go at a quite a strong pace to mm. to record a distance the kind of distances that you might want so for mm. example if you're going for a you know whatever it is maybe it's a spartathlon qualifier or it's a, a gb qualifier uh, whatever your objective is um you you're constantly aware of the need to push the pace mm. whereas if you were doing something like a six day or a 250 mile point to point race that sort of sense that there's that every second counts just isn't isn't quite there um so i think one of the things you'll find in the race is is when you sort of do your uh your your, your plan and you have some idea of how fast you want to go so sort of mm. keeping that pace up feels uh there's a lot of pressure and it adds to the mental mental pressure of the event and i think that's what makes the 24 hours so incredibly tough you know it's long but you still have to run reasonably fast and you, was your strat? I mean, is it sort of generally accepted that you're just going to slow down, like linearly your pace is going to drop off and off and off, and therefore, you know, that you have to go out at faster than faster pace than your, what your average pace over the whole race is likely to be, accepting that in that second half it's just going to slow and slow and slow? Yeah, I don't think I've heard of anyone who managed to maintain the pace throughout. <laughs> I mean, the first thing to do is don't go out insanely quick, and yeah. I've seen – Every 24-hour race, you, you see it. And then often it's really quick marathon runners in particular who who just aren't used to running at an easy enough pace. And they, they go out and they they just blast it and they they just they really struggle and they, they tend to drop out. So obviously I'm generalizing. There's some guys who, who really nail it. But almost like in most ultras, almost everyone goes out too quickly. Um, so you, you have to start really easy. Um I have what I call my kind of zero effort pace. Mm. And what I'm trying to do is run at that pace and just keep at that pace, that feeling. It's like a running to feeling thing. And then over time, that pace will just naturally become slower and slower. Mm. Um, and then at some point, it's just to do whatever the hell you can pace, <laughs> which is just trying yep. to keep running, which yep. kicks in at yeah, whatever it is, um, depending on the day, how, how good a run you're having. But so, I mean, for me, I'm, I, I'm starting sort of just under eight minute miling. Mm -hmm. And that just gradually kind of eases back. So I'll probably stick to that for about five, six, seven, eight hours. Mm -hmm. But then, well, but, but, but less than that. And then try to maintain that same feeling and, and my pace will just naturally drop. And towards the end, I mean, you just, you, you think you're flying. I mean, I, I remember looking at a video of that tooting 24 hour race where I remember feeling like, wow, isn't this amazing that I'm running so fast right near the end? And I looked at it on video and it's just, you know, it's some pathetic kind of <laughs> shuffle. Um, shuffle. I mean, shuffle would be glorifying how bad it was. It's just, and, and but it feels because you're going as fast as you can, but just everything doesn't work the way it should. So, so yeah, you have to assume. Having said that, um, I mean, you do get guys, um, 
uh, Grant McDonald to one of the GB uh, squad. He, he, I mean, he he ran incredibly. He was running sort of seven thirties in the final kind of half hour wow. of um, of a race in Barcelona. James Stewart did the fastest hour of his whole race um, at the European Championships once, but he'd had kind of problems earlier on and stuff, which which helped that. But but even so, I mean, some you, I think right near the end, you can somehow sometimes gather something. You know, like in any race, you yeah. suddenly find something you didn't know that well, you're you gonna had. Leave, but- you, you know by that point, I guess, that you've got a sort of period of time where you can just leave everything on the track and you're going to be fucked, for want of a better word, by the end of that. But, you know, you don't, won't have to carry on running, of course, so that's, that's fine. Yeah, you can somehow just use whatever's left because you know you're going to kind of collapse one one centimeter over the over the, the yeah. finish line, how, and everything just seizes up. How much does it feel like an an individual effort, and how much does it feel like a race to you when you're out there? I think if it feels like a race any time before the last hour or two, you've got a real problem okay. because if you're looking at other people and racing them, you're going to screw up. So it really has to. Because I think it's a very good point. I think. It, Putting it that way, individual effort is a really, really good way to put it because you have to go, okay, I know what I can do and I'm going to do the best I can do and meet out using my my resources over this time so that I'm using the last drop of energy literally as I cross the line. Um, and if you go too soon and you, and you start getting caught up in a race with other people or worrying about what they're doing, you, know, you can you can find yourself racing someone after six hours. You go, gee, I, yeah, this is I'm already six hours in. It's a long way, a long time. It's okay to be racing. I'm doing great. Maybe I'm in the lead or whatever, but it's meaningless because there's 18 hours to go. So you know the race only really starts for the last couple of hours because until then you should just be, as I say, just using your resources in the best possible way that you can. Um, and just based on, I would suggest how you feel. Some people prefer to kind of look at the watch and the splits and stuff. But I think kind of learning to run to feel is really important in these kind of races. And, and, and like anything, I guess the, the danger of racing is that if you're matching somebody else's pace and they've got the worst race plan in the world, you, you're both going to blow up, you know? A- absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I had a uh, experience in, in tooting because Marco Consani was one of the kind of the guy who I massively admired and still admire. Um, you know, he's one of the uh, top GB runners. He's won Lakeland 100 and whatever, and he was in the race. And I I, I was kind of, it was almost, it was actually the reverse because I was, I, I was overtaking him and going past him. And I thought, geez, how can I go ahead of Marco Consani? It means I'm going too fast. Mm. But I thought, no, hold on. I'm actually doing the right pace for me. If I'm worrying about what he's doing, either because I'm racing him to try and keep up with him, but also if I'm worried that I'm going too fast because he's now behind me, um, I'm going to screw up. It is literally you know, can't, just totally about doing what you what you feels right for, for you. Running your own race. Running your own race, absolutely. Yeah. Obviously, you had you had a time in mind because you, you wanted to qualify for the GB vest and subsequently did, by the way, spoiler alert <clears throat> to anyone who didn't know that. Um, so you knew what kind of average pace you needed to hit. How did you work out this like zero effort pace that you mentioned? What, how did you kind of establish your pacing strategy? And you know, how much of that was done on pen and paper and how much of it was done you know, just doing laps around a track trying to work this out? I didn't actually do put any strategy into that because I knew that anything different to my zero effort pace wouldn't yield results. Um, but I knew from long runs and I knew from just my history that I was 
quick enough and and, and yeah, things went well, I, I, I could I could get the the, the GB standard. So, um, and my my coach uh, Norm did did send me some sort of he said well these splits for 100k 100 mile whatever and I, I i just ignored them completely sorry norm um but because i knew that i just didn't want to be chasing anything i just wanted to to run to, to that right effort level and i but I, as I, said, I knew that if i did that that i would get where i needed to get to at the end um and then we yes we had a, a target in mind for anyone who's never heard of 24 hour races it's all about the distance you do in the time so um i knew i had to go over Although the GB standard was 240 k, so it's about 151 miles in the 24 hours. We knew that with the, the standard being what it was, with the number of guys who already had had qualified, that I needed to go sort of around over 150, 253 miles. Um, so, so that was really the target. And um, later on, obviously, you're just hanging on desperately. Well, actually, the last kind of, I don't know, 14 hours I was hanging on fairly desperately <laughs> for, for long periods of time. I mean, it really is that hard. Oh. And then you are just, obviously you are just thinking I've got to stay, keep moving just at a reasonable pace. And then I can, yeah, I'm going to get this, this, this target. And, and, and you do have in mind later on, you're ticking things off. Like when I went through 240 Ks and that was officially, I, I had to qualify. Obviously it was a great kind of moment and it helped me in the last last kind of half hour or whatever but um yeah generally i think you you'll have a target in mind but you just need to run in the right way and if you run in the right way that's your best way of reaching the target you know rather than trying to as i say have sort of um milestone yeah. distances all and, and times a lot along the way yeah well that's amazing really, for everyone. running by feel basically for the whole thing and and just having the confidence that that will be enough to get you where you need to be yeah, and you've got all that data, and I mean, I'm a big believer in in kind of that that your brain's already worked out what you what you can do, and it's taken the the data it's taken in is all your training runs, everything you've said to yourself, everything everyone else has ever said to you, not ever, but you know, people whose opinion you you respect, and it's kind of going. So my brain on that day knew 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 I could I could run 250k's. And it was just then allowing, applying my intelligence still to not do something stupid, like let, let ego get in and go charging mm. out and being stupid, but to trust myself and go, okay, my brain knows what, what to do here. I'm going to just run an intelligent way to feel. And I know that that will, can get me to the right, to the right result. Um, but yeah, you do, it, yeah, it takes some practice. And because I, I'm a runner who runs to feel a lot in training, I hardly ever have a G, GPS. Only like for my long runs, um, do I use a, an, anything other than normal stopwatch in general anyway, occasionally it's different. Um, so I, I kind of learned to run to feel and I trust myself when I run to feel. And I mean, in, in recent times, I well, had a, a very bad run at the uh, Track 100, Centurion Track 100 a few weeks ago. And one of the things I realized I did wrong there was I changed that. I had like lap splits and I was looking at every single lap. And I don't think that works for me. That works for some people. But the next next year, I'm just going to go, you know, I'm just going to run to feel my brain's worked it out. And I'm just going to kind of do what what feels right on the on the day. It's interesting, isn't it? How it's sort of a different approach to different people. I'm, I'm, I would say I'm pretty far along the scale of being quite data driven, both during and, you know, in review of the, my performances as well. I've always been like that. And there was a period of time, 
many years ago where I really enjoyed running on treadmills just because this was before GPS watches were really much of a thing, just because I had much better data, like live data, you know, for, you know, available to me at the time. And, um, all, even in, I mean, I, ne- I would never go out without a GPS watch, but even if I went out to run by feel and tried to sort of avoid looking at it, I, I know I'd, I'm just be guilty of glancing at it occasionally to sort of see what's going on. I'm terrible for it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't. I, that, that data you're getting is still actually teaching you fail. So you're just kind of the, the, that. When I spoke about the data being people, the things people say, um, the training runs. You know, my data is I know I did this run. It felt like this. You know, your data might be yeah. something a bit more, but it, ultimately the result is the same. Mm. And I don't think that prevents you from from running to fail, even if during the race you're kind of looking at things to go. Okay, that's what running to fail means. As long as you don't get to the point where that you're completely regulated by the data yeah. and you're going, because for 20, you can do that for 10K, for 24 hours, you can't. You can't no. kind of chase your watch for 18 hours or something like that because you're just going to blow up. I guess, so with the data points, that those are intangible. That in a, a minute is still a minute, a mile is still a mile, where perceived effort, like you said earlier, when you approach the end of that race and your perceived effort was that you were flying along, but you were still running to feel. And so you were still maxing out, but you were doing it as, as, a, as a part of that race. You're obviously going to degrade, your performance is going to degrade over time. So your, your, your perceived effort, maximum effort, is your, is your running to feel really. They're, they're one and the same things, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, a- absolutely. No, I think that's absolutely right. So kind of how you get your, your, your dates and your training and stuff is one thing. But yeah, you're absolutely right. When you're out there and you're running to feel, it's whatever it means you know, for that kind of race and on, and on that day and for you as an individual. Um, and something like the treadmill. I mean, when you said the treadmill um, earlier, I mean, I love running on the treadmill. I do a lot of my hard sessions on the treadmill because I know I go to the same treadmill as well if I can get it in the gym mm-hmm. because I know that if I do however long it is at that speed on that treadmill and then the field comes in, well, I know how did I feel doing it on that day compared to last week or last month or, or five years ago. So, um, cause it gives me that exact measure. So uh, there are things where I do like that very specific exact data. Um, yeah. maybe we should warn everyone which gym you go to cause uh, Michael Stocks <laughs> is going to be there hogging the treadmill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And no, if we do the long run on the treadmill, it can take a while. So. It's, I, I do a similar th- with, with, with trail running. I'm, I'm, I'm not a track runner at all, but with trail running, I'll quite often, I have a, a, a route that I will measure myself against periodically. I don't run that route all the time. And every now and again, I just come back and then, of course, if you are looking at the data from those things, you have to bring in the variables of temperature and weather and time of day and, and factor, you know, do I perform better then? Do I perform better at different times of day? And, and I was wondering with the track, how how much variety, because obviously um, I'm, I'm assuming that most tracks are fairly, fairly similar in uh, how they feel underfoot or at least generally obviously some will age and, and lose their spring i'm guessing but in terms of locations how much variety or how much variability does uh, a different track location bring to you obviously you've got weather uh, i'm assuming that none of these are indoor but um although obviously they're indoor well, you, tracks. Do have, you do have indoor ones as well don't you i mean is that bitter ah, that, okay. that was one of my questions mile, didn't he? and that was like an air-conditioned track which has to have certain advantages to it i suspect than like a mm. hot sunny day and all wind or whatever so how much variability yeah. do you feel, Michael, when you're, when you're doing tracks? 
Yeah, so if um, if I'm choosing a race and if you're trying to get a target, then you, you just have to choose kind of sensibly. So um, I think, Tristan, you're doing the Gloucester race in October, is that mm, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's an elite race. And the weather, the, the, the dangers like we had last year, there was a lot, lot of wind um, and that you can have at any point in, in winter and you can't obviously legislate for that. But in theory, you've got a good chance of good conditions because – it's it, you know, it's going to be cool. Uh, the guys um, who are listening, sorry, guys who are doing um, the 24-hour in the middle of the summer. So I think there's a, a there's a Gloucester race yeah. um, in August, and then there's the guys going to Crawley 24 um, very soon. Um, uh, also, there's a danger it's going to be a lot warmer, so that's going to be just that bit tougher if it is to to get sort of things like your your personal best or to really maximize your opportunities of something big. So in that sense, a lot like any other kind of shorter event. Um, there are um, uh, there is, uh, for example, the uh, I think it's called um, six six days in the dome, which is the one where Zach Butcher, I think broke the 100 mile world record and um and it's around an ice rink um and ice hockey training and stuff so the temperature is constantly around 12 degrees uh it's on next weekend and um i was thinking because i'm very keen to do a a 48 hour um either kind of later this year or but it could be next year i thought that would be just the perfect Mm. environment for something like a 48 hour because yeah, the 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 variables are, are are always there for any any race, but something like a twenty four hour. Um, I mean, it, yours in uh, in October, it could be sub zero yeah. at night, and it could be sort of sixteen in the day. With yeah. and it, it it you have to kind of go able and ready to manage those things. And obviously, if you're changing clothes, um, it's it's time wasted because literally every second you're off the off the track. Obviously, is time yeah. wasted. So. So yeah, um, well, you had torrential Jay, I mean, rain for your tooting one, didn't you? Uh, like for eighteen oh, hours man. of it or something. Yeah, yeah, rain for 80, 90 hours. It was just, it was just extraordinary. Those but pictures made... looked fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Yeah, which it, that, that makes all the, all the more respect for your time as well. I think because, I mean, another you know, it's not rain's not going to slow you down that much. It's, you've got to wear more clothing. I guess some of that's going to carry a bit of water weight as well to it. But just I think mentally, I find it a little bit tougher to put a good effort in when it's raining. I'd feel like, oh god, the universe is against me today. You know, I'm just not going to get the time I wanted because the weather's not the way I want it to be. And you could easily kind of lock yourself in a mental box there, I think. So, yeah, credit to you for still just killing it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it does make you, as you say, your things a bit heavier, your shoes heavier. I think early on I was trying to kind of jump, not jump over puddles, it sounds too – I mean, I can hardly – jump my muscles don't really aren't really good at jumping but kind of trying not to go straight through the bigger puddles and stuff like that and all those things are an energy cost and i think it's almost better once you just completely soaked and you just go oh, screw it i'm just gonna do whatever's easiest which is just you know plowing straight through the puddles and things like that then it, then you kind of you know that becomes less of an issue it does wear you down it was it did make it really cold and i i was shivering quite badly for for about six hours at the end and um, my crew couldn't get me to put on any waterproof trousers. I didn't want to stop for anything. I, I, I was um, just determined not to yeah, to have change of clothes or they managed to get me to, to put on a dry shirt at one point under my rain jacket that wasn't working. But apart from that, um, but yeah, I, I think actually the lesson for that, if, it, if you do get rain um, at your, at your race, um, 
is to, I mean, firstly, take a couple of rain jackets if you can, not just one, because eventually they do leak. It doesn't matter how mm. good they are. Yeah. But just to be willing to take those few seconds to to change and put a dry shirt on under the jacket because it does wear you down mentally just being cold for so many hours. Um, and uh, and and have a drill with your crew. So if you do need to, if it gets, if it does go sub-zero and it's, and you're incredibly cold, have a drill for how you can change your, put on some trousers incredibly yeah. quickly and things like that. Because as I said, every second does count and um, you just want to feel really professional because you can easily lose five minutes with a, a change. Um, and at the track 100, um, seeing um, uh, Sorokin, you know, the new world record yeah. holder, 100 mile world record amazing, holder. Amazing, amazing. Huge change. Performance. I mean, it was like a, um, a, the F1. a brand new, he was having it. Yeah, it was like an F1 change. I mean, well, I it was thought, fantastic. I, yeah, I saw Dan uh, Lawson was saying it was like a 31-second shoe change or something at, yeah, I don't know, like amazing. 90 miles or something, you know? <laughs> yeah, amazing. Yeah. I changed my shoes in about two minutes, but I, I just didn't want to really get back out there. So I had a terrible day. But, you know, I I, I, you know, I learned from that. I, I mean, I do, I'll do anything not to to stop for a change of anything and um, and in that, that tooting 24-hour, I mean, I didn't stop for anything except peeing and even then yeah i didn't when it was raining hard enough but it was um but if you can avoid stopping it you one know, advantage of the rain it. right yeah exactly <laughs> and it was heavy enough to be fair yeah. uh, it was blazing sunshine on a hot day you can't really get away with just pissing yourself whilst running around the track <laughs> no um, exactly people might notice no. I mean, there'll come a point where you do because you don't care but yeah, you, you won't get away with it so well, you can't control uh, it right <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah that yeah. um 100 mile world record was um astonishing um and I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm not that kind of, you know, Fay with um, you know who's who in in the. I, I listen to Zach Bitter's podcast. I'm very familiar with him, and I follow this low carb kind of um, diet as well, which is part of the reason why I sort of subscribe to his stuff. But I was I, I'm not really aware of you know when someone's coming up and potentially a challenger for these records. So that was a complete surprise to me that day to see that record get taken. Yeah, I think for the 24-hour kind of running world, we knew it was going to be – it was a very good chance anyway mm-hmm. because, you know, he's, he's a 24-hour you know, world champion um, and we've seen what he can do over 100 miles within 24-hour races. He mm-hmm. runs his absurd, absurdly quick um, uh, kind of 100-mile times. So, so it's just great to see him kind of nail it and do it. And I really hope that he, he gets – a lot from it because you know if, if he was living in america or american yeah. the sponsorship and the riches and everything that would come with it would just be immense whereas yeah. you know he i mean he is already very highly regarded you know, in his home country but yeah you know, I, I don't see yet anyway that he's going to kind of get rich and, and yeah the media the exposure doesn't exactly really seem would, to have been yeah. there you know um yeah which is a shame, start so. yeah exactly for sure but yeah when it happened i was like you know whatsapp groups with friends who aren't really runners i was like the 100 mile record just got taken today this is amazing and like trying to find news articles around it and struggling a little bit, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Which sort of delegitimizes it really because it almost seems like it didn't happen when it's not being reported, like front page BBC News kind of thing, you know? Yeah. But that was Tro running 10 years ago, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Nobody nobody thought anything about any of these massive records and and distances that were going down because it was all in in a little circle of people. But I think Mm. as the sports are expanding and people are looking for new ways to push themselves. I think that distance is almost becoming 
we're, we're reaching the limits of, I think, where people can put the everyman. I think everyman or woman can, can push themselves to a certain point. But I think distance is fast becoming a limitation. People aren't going to be able to push themselves too much further. Whereas time is, is, a, is a controlled thing that people can understand and, and really push themselves towards enduring. And I think I think that they argue. Some people will definitely go for the the time over over distance, in terms of uh, the end point of a race. And I think that will suit a lot more people going forwards. I think the twenty four hour race endurance level. I think that's going to really really take off in the next few years. I think. Yeah, I I agree with that. I mean, I've just. Um even just in the last few years it's just it's just incredible how many people are, are interested in that event and and things like um you know Sorokin breaking the uh Sony breaking the world record 100 and then they're going to be watching him in the 24 hour now um and all those things kind of make it um or even just track running the idea of running on a track you know people now know that people run 100 miles on a track and stuff like that and i think that flows into things like 24 hour and I can see there being in like five, 10 years, a hell of a lot of 24 hour events. And one of the biggest challenges will be how to make them, how to handle the numbers and make them big enough. Because on a track, um, you know, the numbers are very limited because you, you're losing time going around people. Obviously, every time you aren't in the perfect in, part of the inside lane, you're, you're losing distance. And the estimates are uh, for, for a race like uh, Barcelona, where there's, I think there's 120 people on the track or something, yeah, uh, you're going to run at track, least, an, yeah. yeah, you're going to run an extra, I think, something like 4Ks that aren't going to be recorded in mm. your distance, which is just, you know, that that's just massive. It's, mm. it's insane. So, um, so with these races, you can only have normally it's sort of a limit of 60 people um, is I think the, the authority's kind of main uh, limit and elite races like uh, like like yours Tristan I think it's going to be like 30 people as it was mm. last year I hope yeah. and then you, you're using up you're wasting less time going around so I think we'll see it happening on bigger and bigger circuits um, so like the so the internationals because you, you've got 600 people running there on sort of loops of about a mile which which kind of makes more sense you can fit, you know, get more people onto the course so i think we'll find more of those um uh, and obviously some more track but i think it moving out to kind of longer longer loops i suppose i don't this sounds a bit awkward and probably impractical but i want especially when you think about cruise stops as well it could get difficult but i'm just wondering if you could keep people to a certain lane um, and with that knowledge, when they when they finish a lap, obviously they're not doing 400 meters; they're doing 405 or 410 or whatever it might be. And then the cumulative is is accurate, but crossing through lanes to get to your crew could be challenging. And that kind of thing would be like would be like navigating motorway traffic, really, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it'd be it'd be very tough to do. There'd, there'd definitely be a technological solution to that, but I'm not sure how true to the sport it would be. You know, they track mm. um, footballers, um, top professional footballers, and monitored how how much distance they cover during a game and you could definitely uh have a tracker on someone that would show their true distance um but uh is that true to the spirit of of, of running you know is the truth mm, if, you, yeah. if you're running on a course then you know part of the competition is is the environmental and and the race variables so you know does that remove that does that make it what's the difference then between running on a treadmill i guess on your own yeah, so yeah the race is i mean it's a very interesting idea yeah mm. yeah i mean what what you then have is everyone trying to be on the outside lane because the the bend is less sharp yep. so, <laughs> yeah we're fighting each other on the outside two lanes so but yeah I mean, it's a really interesting idea it'd be really fun to do that 
just somewhere, anywhere. Mm-hmm. You could just have a big park or a big whatever. It doesn't have to be a track. And just say, okay, guys, go mad. And we'll yeah. see who's got the, the furthest distance at the end. Uh, just like saying a lot of kids off in a park. Do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> just okay. sort of, ah, everyone all over the place. Some um, of them just doing like so, back and forward, like bleep test, 100 meter repeats kind of thing. <laughs> and I thought yeah, it was going, yeah, going yeah. to be amusing. But, but, but I think one of the things about uh, something like a 24-hour race, as you, you mentioned, it's a part of the sort of ethos of the race is the other people and the passing and stuff like that. And um, one of the interesting things is navigating through other people um, as you as you come up to them trying to pass, that, that kind of thing, because um, some people will get out the way and give you the inside lane, some won't. In general, it's wonderful and, and, and people – most runners try, but you, you, it's impossible to always look and always be aware yeah. of, you know, who's coming behind you. Um, but that is part of the race. And I, I found it helped me mentally to some degree because people kind of go, you know, what do you think about what do you do for 24 hours? And obviously you think about all kinds of things, but one of the things is like an obstacle course because you're almost constantly going, okay, I've got to go around this person. Is oh, that person's just stepped aside. I'm going to go inside, you know, on the inside lane. And it is almost like a video game, really, mm. sort of just driving through these things. And you can be – it does help to get you in the zone to some mm. degree, especially if you if you try to make that happen. Um, it, it, it can be quite a, quite a good thing. Yeah, sort of gamifying it, creating kind of, I guess, challenges and problems to solve in your head to sort of distract from the monotony of it. I mean, uh, I think you, everyone – You're probably... going to have plenty of problems to solve. Don't worry. <laughs> you won't have to create any new ones. It's fun. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, it's probably true. Um, but I mean, I, I think um, on long runs, you just, I think a lot of us kind of do that. You know, you just you you know you kind of. I mean, you're, we should say you've written a fantastic book on uh, one track mind, which was on your experience of doing this. Was it 2019 or 20? Wasn't 2020 because that was COVID. 2019. Just trying to think with all the the time we've lost. It must yeah. have been 2019. 2019. Um, yeah. Um, okay. Where well, we lost twenty twenty? No, twenty eighteen. Twenty eighteen already. Yeah. 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 So um, um, you know, your book, uh, which I loved, um, One Track Mind, sort of documents your thoughts and feelings and experiences of this race which is for anyone's listening and is wondering why we seem to know so much about your races because we've <laughs> we, read we listened to the book yeah well thank you thanks so um, much for reading it yeah. and it's i just loved it because and I've, you know we've both read quite a lot of running books and i'm sure you have too this one just had a totally different take on on it um i mean first of all a lot of books are not generally about just one race it tends to be about an athlete's whole experience and how they got into running in their career and everything but to talk about it you know as a pitch to a publisher i'm going to write a book about this one race where i run around a track for 24 hours that's a hard sell but you managed to sort of bring in so many interesting themes around the race around your life your family um past races you've been in your training your coach your food injuries everything and it's this it's like the entire experience of running um written small into this and it, you know it's not a particularly long book i read it in about 24 hours funnily enough um <laughs> and, and and it just encapsulates everything for me and i gave it to my wife to read who's a who's a very casual runner and certainly has no aspirations to do ultra running distance i was like this is appropriate for you too for sure um because it's got so much good content in it 
Well, thank you. I and mean, that's, uh, yeah, what's well, wonderful. I wish, well, I'll go back and write all that down as a, as a review or something that really, <laughs> I really, I really appreciate that. And, and I think there's a, a kind of a shared experience, um, in running and, um, in ultra running very specifically, but yes, even, you know, for shorter distances as well, where, where I think we, yes, like where do our minds go? You know, what are the kinds of things that we think about? How do our minds wander when we're doing things? Um, yeah. Well, what are our emotional experiences, you know, with, with running these kind of events? And, um, and my hope was to, to, to express those. Cause I just found after that race, um, the tooting 24 hour, I hadn't intended to write a book before the the race, but it was just such a powerful experience. And, um, I just started to write down. I didn't want to forget the things that I'd thought of and, and, and that I'd learned. And, um, I just started writing them down and there was more and more and more. And then it was, you know, this is a book because this is something not just for myself. I want to actually share, share what this is because I know other people are having this kind of experience as well. And it's a way to, to also just sort of express what we, what we, what we feel and what we experience. And, and I wanted to get across just the sort of the sense of community in, in things like a 24 hour race because most people don't know about 24 hour races. I wanted to kind of share that and share how special the experience can be and how how amazing a race like Tooting, especially uh, uh, being the one in the book, you know, can, can be. And um, yeah, so it was, uh, yes, it's, it's, it's been, it's been really, really, really good. Yeah. I think for me, what some of the best bits in it were the way you managed to capture those strange kind of thoughts that occur. They're quite transient feelings that happen when you're running almost like dreams in a way that you forget after the run. Um, you be at a training run or a race or whatever, and you somehow manage to remember them and then get them down and, and quite sort of vividly as well. And I was like reading it going, ah, you know what? Yeah, I've had these exact same feelings mm. and kind of always forgotten about them after the run, but they're there and they happen a lot, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's absolutely it. Yeah. And they, that's, that's a common, common experience. And, and for me, I must say just to have that down, um, to just capture even just, once some of those things just mm. feels really special and i, I would encourage you if you, you know, after a, a major run if you just to even just for your own self just yeah. you know just, just for yourself to write down some of those those thoughts and experiences and and some of the things that you think about because i think they can be quite helpful uh, generally uh, especially under duress when we're in in really difficult situations i do think the things we think about all that come to mind some of them are completely mundane and unimportant and ridiculous, but there'll also be some things that might be quite helpful. It's a form of meditation, isn't it? That's the thing. When you're mm. running and you're fo so focused on a few things, breathing, foot placement, all that other stuff, you freed up so much of your brain power that it gets a chance to go through these subjects and, and you know, things come to the fore that, that have been buried or um, that you don't necessarily have time to think creatively sometimes, I find, and these thoughts will just come out. Um, you know, appreciation of surroundings, all these things. It's like lifting a fog sometimes when you're running. You're just free of all the other crap that, that floats through our heads. And it's like, bang, I've got one thing to do and I'm so focused on it, the rest of me opens up. That's what I love. I, yeah, very well. Yeah, I think it's very well put. It, it's, it's getting rid of all the other crap, as you said. Uh, all this sort of noise that's kind of at us, you know, all the time. And at least we have those moments of it's, well, it can be almost like a serenity for periods of time when mm. when these other things can can find the space. Um, well, heads. yeah, and this is exactly what you know. Practicing mindfulness and meditation—that's exactly what you're trying to achieve. It's to sort of remove 
all of the jumble of thoughts that you have very little control over what comes in and out of your head most of the time. No control, in fact. You know, you don't. Ne- you don't. No one knows what their next thought is going to be. Mm. Um, but somehow, running, and I'm sure you know, there's other um, physical um, practices that will do the same thing. And then, of course, like meditation and mindfulness. It, you know, if you practice it enough. Um, it does just sort of clear the air and you can then focus in on one particular train of thought um, or none. I mean, I've had, I've, I'm sure you guys are the same. I've had periods of minutes before where, where I'm running and I've gone, well, okay, I appear to have traveled another kilometer and I don't remember any of it, you know, or even thinking anything. That's the dream. That's the dream. (laughs) dream. Oh, wow, I've just, I've covered another hundred kilometers. I had no idea I was even doing it. That would be good. If you could extend that over a 24-hour period, um, you'd be in a good place. You'd probably just look down and go, oh, pissed myself as well. (laughs) (laughs) But that would be a good thing because it means you don't have to stop. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm not responsible. I didn't know I did it. Yeah. Oh, um, oh. You, you talk on one of your blog posts that I was reading, or you've written in one of your blog posts I was reading recently about pain, and um, and I was wondering, it's obviously something that's inevitable. Well, hopefully never, but it always is. Um, it's something that we have to push through and stuff. And and how much um, resilience your? I was wondering how much resilience your training um, builds in terms of just parking that pain down and accepting that it's the worst you speak of it being the worst it's going to be and that's making your peace with that and basically it's not going to get any worse so i can absorb this now and also searching for new things to kind of uh alleviate that that constant pain in your head it's like oh a new pain fantastic I, i can delve into that and and how much of that do you feel and endure in training? You know, I mean, for, for the race, you've got no choice, really. You've got an objective to achieve. But in training, how, how far do you go with that? How, how far do you let it permeate before you go, okay, enough today? <laughs> yeah, good question. Yeah, I, I think, well, obviously, our training does give us that strength of mind. It teaches us how to deal with the pain. That's, that's clear because I think if a lot of people who just started out, starting out running, if they had any idea how much pain we might go through in an ultra race, for example, you know, they, it's hard for them to comprehend what becomes acceptable over time as you become more experienced as a runner and as you learn to to tolerate and handle and handle pain. And one of the big things, of course, is to to be have the experience and to learn how to spot the pain that's like a real problem. Yes, you know, so the, the 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 thing that might you know kind of break you in training and that that sort of thing. So just I would flag that. Obviously, mm. don't. I think sometimes it can be a bit stupid to just keep running through certain kinds of things, but but yeah, we do get used to run to to pain a lot in in, in training and in a race like like a twenty four hour, there, there is a level of acceptance because you just have to go. You know what? I can't do anything about this. And what I have found is that in long races, at some point, that nerve that is giving you all that pain just goes. Oh, you know what? You're not listening to me screw you, I'm going to stop trying to help you here. Mm-hmm. And, and, and certain p- kinds of pain just sort of disappear over time. Um, so I, I was in a lot more pain maybe at eight hours than I was at 20 hours because I was just numb and dead to a lot of the things that had been worrying me earlier. Um, it was more about the exhaustion and, and those other things we call pain, that, that there's no other sort of word for it, that overall sort of thing that consumes us that just uh you know let's call it exhaustion but all those other feelings that come with that kind of tiredness um i think those things are harder to tolerate than 
then sort of the yeah the, the toenails falling off and the hips hurting and the, the the bottom of the feet and all that kind of stuff that happens. So um, and for that, that's just strength of mind, and yeah, that comes from experience and training, and I think life experience as well helps. Um, and one of the the things with ultra running. Um, is that you know does it, it used to attract older people i mean now it's like the full range of, of ages which is great um but a lot of people doing 24 hour are, are older and um it, it you don't have to be older. So people like robbie britton was 25 um i think when he was third at the world championship so but um i think sort of having some life experience helps probably because it'll help you not go out too fast for a start. And, it, and <laughs> I think it does it. make, <laughs> yeah, and just, yeah. And I just think having the shit kicked out you a lot of times makes yeah. you stronger as well, you know, and, but it doesn't have to be age. I suppose it's a certain kind of mental maturity, I think, rather than sort of actual, you know, age in years, I think is probably the, the key thing uh, is very helpful. I've, I've done a lot of um, long distance walking over the years and, and I noticed very early on, I would see a lot of people with sobriety tattoos and things like that. And I think the level of life suffering that that goes along with all the problems that life can bring with addictions and things like that, I think that that, like you say, I think that can train your, uh, that definitely attracted the early breed of ultra runners. I, I know that uh, a lot of people were channeling addictions, people like Rich Roll and people like that, mm. who were dealing with their addictions in a, in a more positive way. Um, and I think that definitely that life uh, experience of, of dealing with problems definitely does build your resilience over time, literally over time for you. But um, obviously with the 24 hour stuff. So yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's, that's a big part of it. I think. Definitely. Absolutely. And I think there's also a little, little bit of a, not sort of um, all or nothing kind of mindset. To, there's not, there's, there's a bit of that for, a lot of ultra runners, not all, but I think it, it does also attract a certain kind of mindset where there's maybe a tendency towards the extreme um, in anything. And um, something like running generally and ultra running is a is obviously a, a positive outlet for for those kind of personality types. Um, yeah, I don't know if there's any on this call, but there's a lot of them in. There's at least two. Um, yeah. so there's a lot of them in, um, in a lot of ultra races. So yeah, it's a really positive way to to, to kind of you know, channel those those kind of personality traits. I think. Yeah, I, I think it's good for the sport that more and more different types of personalities are coming into them. I think the mm -hmm. the distance and the endurance sports are benefiting from having people with say. Um, maybe different demons, but also so a better, a better balance of life. Um, I think it's evening the sport out and making it more accessible for people. Yeah. yeah I mean, one of the other great things about it, of course, is besides the sort of age factor where, you know, men who are 50 year old, 50 years old can get a GB vest, um, from running 155 miles on a track, um, which is what you did, Michael, but also, you know, it, it's an, it's a field leveler in terms of male and female as well. I mean, you see, Runners like Courtney DeWalter putting in crazy, you know, efforts over these 200 plus mile distances. Um, it does seem to be the case um, that the longer you stretch the distance or the time out, the more it sort of evens out. Or in, in fact, potentially women are better than men at this, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, someone like Camille Heron, who um, I think she was eventually about fifth or sixth at the at the world champs uh, in, in in france the world 24-hour championships but her distance 
in, I think, any other year for the past, I don't know how many years would have won. Mm. And um, it, there, there's one theory which was that you know, she, she definitely pushed the the guys to run further, and she could just because she pushed the whole field to run further. They all, everyone knew that if if they were going to win the race outright, they would have to do incredibly well to to beat her, as well as obviously the other you know, the other top uh, uh, men runners. So, um, and she's just redefining what's possible for for women at twenty four hour and one hundred miles. And I think there's going to be other women come, coming and filling that that space between her and the, and the rest of the field quite quickly. And then yes, on these very very long races, um, a, a woman can can absolutely be the outright winner, and 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 it's you know it's great. I mean, it's already happened in a lot of events. Things like uh, um, uh, what's the uh, God slipped my mind the um, Birmingham oh, to London Canal uh, the Canal race. Um, um, you got the Grand Union, whatever, the, Grand, Grand Union, Union yeah, Canal, Canal yeah. race where Debbie Debbie Monconsani won and stuff like that. So, and it's going to happen more and more as more women you know get into ultra running because it's still, you know, I think uh, what the ratio is, but certainly still more guys than than women in these races. So, the more women who come in, the more kind of elite women we're going to get coming through. It's one of the coolest things about our sport, I think. That the, the world of running mm-hmm. is is, and then again, as you push into these distances, you know, people that have run. Um, up in the Lake District, the, the Wainwrights and the the Bob Grahams and the double Bob Grahams, you know, the, the, there's no gender um, yeah. effect on it. it. It's it's a human thing. It's an individual thing. And, and I love the fact that it's stripping all the gender away from it all. Um, I think it's it's a great sport to be in for that reason. I, I love the camaraderie um, and there's no elitism and very few um, egos I've ever found in, in trail running and long distance and ultras and everything else. And I think that's only going to get better if I'm honest. Yeah, I hope so. Because um, yeah, I must say I've had the same experience. I've not, you know, there's always someone who has a bad day, but in general, I've not sort of had a bad experience with anyone in ultra running. And um, I think one of the, if there's a danger, it's it's obviously as as it gets more and more popular, and we've got more and more race events. Um, if we, I have yet to hear of any kind of race organizer changing the culture of ultra running. Um, but obviously, there's a danger that at some point we get some kind of an event that brings out the wrong, the wrong sort of side of people or the wrong kind of ego. But I, I suppose with ultra running, just because you know we've all been the person that didn't make it on some day, it, it, it does come with a natural humility, mm-hmm. and um, so I think that will hopefully you know, protect us from our sport you know, ever becoming sort of a, a massive ego fest. Um, I wonder if it links back to what we were saying about you know running being a form of meditation or mindfulness. You know, perhaps that practice in you know you're practicing your you know your your in your training you're practicing time on your feet and you know you're training your aerobic system anaerobic all that kind of stuff but you're also practicing this kind of style of mindfulness and and uh, you know meditation and what, I wonder whether that translates through into the general, the wider culture that you know everyone who does it is in a you know typically a reasonably good headspace and therefore not an asshole. Well, there's a lot of reflection mm. goes on, you know, self-reflection. <laughs> you have to dig deep sometimes. And you find out who you are, I think. You can learn a mm. lot about yourself uh, when you're alone with yourself on these things. You know, you, you, you can say anything you want out loud, but deep down you know whether you gave your all or whether you didn't or whether you can continued when you couldn't. Um, when someone says, you know, you need to stop now, you can know inside yourself that actually, no, 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 I'm, 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 I've learned a lot. I can actually go on now. That's cool. I might not look like I can. 
but I can. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, that's one of the beauties of it is um, we learn ourselves. We learn a, a more and more about ourselves. And I, I'm so pleased that we live in a world where I, I can look at a race event and see somebody finish and think without any gender of it, that's an amazing run. That's that, that, person is now my hero you know i want to you know whatever that's that's the emulation i want to have i want to look at someone and go that is brilliant and without any um any of uh, race gender age it's just looking at the runner's output and going that is so cool they they're amazing they did this thing and and it strips away everything else and it's purely time distance and and terrain and you can go wow that's so cool i love that Yeah, long may it last. We're very lucky. So, We're very yeah. lucky to have a sport. We are lucky. Yeah, definitely. Um, Michael, can you talk a little bit? This is, again, purely for sort of selfish um, uh, reasons. I'm going to start taking notes at this point. Um, a little bit about your <laughs> training plan leading up to uh, your 24-hour, your what that looked like in terms of volume, long runs, how much time you're on track and how much time you're on roads or whatever. Strength and conditioning yeah. as well. I'd be interested to hear about that too. Yeah, and we'll maybe deal with that first. So strength and conditioning, historically, I've been really bad at that. Um, so for Same. tooting, yeah, very, very little. Um, just sort of the occasional plank when I was feeling <laughs> uh, like I really needed to do something. So very little. Uh, something, incidentally, I'm changing now. I'm now working with a, a really top uh, strength and conditioning coach because I've realized that you know, I really do need to get stronger. So I, I would obviously recommend you do even if it's just uh, you know some of the the basics you know it can't hurt even if it helps you not not get injured it's it's yeah. probably going to be a good thing in terms of the the training itself um for me ultra training is not that different to marathon training um except i don't do any intervals or anything like that so a lot of ultra runners do but um, i'm just sort of as an older runner i'm just paranoid about injury and mm. and uh, and kind of going eyeballs out um i can go almost eyeballs out for on a long tempo but i don't i don't like to do um intervals so so the staple my sort of staple run is a is sort of a, a long tempo which i would describe as about 50k pace um mm-hmm. which is just it's still actually quite a hard pace because not far off your your marathon pace mm. and i love that run just for um being reasonably quick and but not so that you just don't want to you don't want to come back the next time you know i'm not i'm not scared of going back to that that run so some of those kind of tempos are a key thing for me and then obviously um you know you do need if you want a really top performance of course a lot of just normal easy running um i in terms of long runs i did for that do a couple of um kind of i think one was 45 miles one was 50 miles training Mm -hmm. runs I'm not convinced you need to do those. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you can do something like that in a race and, and not kind of race it flat out, the problem is there aren't that many six-hour races, but, you know, that would be ideal. But, you know, me, I'm happy. Just I'll just go and run for 50 miles or whatever by myself, and I did that, um, and then about a 45-miler. Probably did I need to do two? Probably not. So, you know, if, if I was going to recommend it to everyone, anyone, I'd say go and run for six hours maybe and and whatever that will be in distance will be enough. Um, and just do it obviously early enough that you can recover before mm. your you know, major race, just like any any other race. Um, and then on the long runs, I, I, I do like doing quite a lot of 50Ks and stuff like that. I think it just helps me mentally. Um, some people like Camille Heron, you know, the World 100 
uh, mile record holder. She says she never really, I think, does sort of beyond 20 miles in training, but she does quite a lot of races. And of course, her races are longer, long runs. So, but she doesn't kind of do these sort of 50K runs as far as I understand. So I think everyone's different. Mm -hmm. I don't think you need to be a slave to going out there and doing massive things every weekend. And that is one of the dangers with something like a 24 hour. Um, people think, well, should now I have to go out and run for 16 hours as a training run or 12 hours or something like that? And you, you don't and you shouldn't. Um, but I, I would say do do whatever really long runs you need to give yourself the belief that you can yeah. be out there for a long time. I think they are kind of confidence there. builders as much as anything, aren't they? Those yeah. long ones. Um, yeah. I guess proving to yourself that your training's working and that you've, you know, you can do those runs with without kind of causing too much damage to yourself and feel confident finishing them, you know, you could carry on much longer. Um, I mean, I've always thought that spending time on feet is useful for, for these long events and that doesn't necessarily need to be running. You know, if you, you know, you put in a 20, 30 K in the morning and spend the rest of the day on your feet and then maybe put a 10 K in, in the evening, that possibly could be as effective, if not more so than running 60 K or 50 K. Um, it's not taking as much time out of your day, but it's conditioning your body to be, you know, on your feet all, all that time and getting yourself, you're getting, getting, you know, tendons and everything used to this idea that you're going to be on your feet all day long. Uh, and when we say all day long, we don't mean a waking day, but like a 24 hour day. There's an element of, of, of massive truth in there. And, and that's most people don't, uh, I see patients every day who, who, who regulate their maintenance routines based on their purely their athletic output, whether that's cycling, running, swimming, triathlon, or whatever they're doing. And and they don't take into consideration any of their uh, vocational tasks. So they could be a landscape gardener for 12 hours a day, and they they don't count that towards their training. And then, mm. of course, they don't count that towards their maintenance, which is where I come in, but they also don't count that to it. So I think a lot of people could give themselves a bit of an easier pass at, you know, that that constant, like you say, the pressure to do the mileage if you can understand that you can factor in, like you said, Tristan, like you said, Michael, but the, the elements of your day, the time on feet, the other things that you're doing, they all factor into your athletic output. If you have that endurance of being, you know, in, in a supermarket stacking shelves all day, you're still on your feet being physical. There's, you know, as there's a cost to that in terms of maintenance, there's always right, a Throw a few squats in there, do the low shelf stuff, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's all good. I, I mean, maybe they sh- Waitrose should just have a, a whole, section of you know come in and help us like pick your own just stack your own for a day there's definitely an opportunity here you could get a second job um <laughs> stacking low shelves at night um in the sort of build up to race day and um that, that could be a significant component of your training i reckon i'd be impressed yeah, if you abs- can sell that <laughs> and absolutely refuse to put the reach up on tiptoe and do the stuff on the top shelf Just go, i'm sorry it's not in my job description it's not my plan <laughs> yeah it's not in my plan but yeah absolutely and it's the same with the training run i mean you can you can go out and do say i'm going to be out for four hours it doesn't mean you have to go and hammer away yeah. running for four hours yeah. you know, go and do somewhere you it's just kind of being out there it doesn't matter how how um how fast you're running um uh, something uh, Robbie Britton, the uh, GB 24-hour manager, said to me recently was, you know, you, you can't in a tr- for, for the pe- you can't run slow enough um, in uh, in the training run. Any pace you do in a training run is going to be useful at some point during a 24-hour race, or for that matter, a 100-mile race for most people. Because um, even if you go out and you're just vaguely jogging along, 
at 18 hours, you're going to be running like that. So it's still going to be useful. Um, mm. Even if you're walking and you're on your feet, at some point you're going to be doing mm. little walk breaks. Um, and that is another thing I would recommend is kind of think what is your walk break strategy for something like a 24 hour. So for example, for me, it was walking the 100 meter straight um, every half hour. So I would get something to eat and drink or eat. Yeah. I would uh, walk for 100 yards and then I'd, uh, meters and I'd carry on running. Every, every half hour I would do that. And in training runs, I would try to emulate that. So every half mm. hour, I would have that walk because you know, I, I could in that training run go and run for four hours and not do the walk, but I'm not learning what I was, was wanting to be doing in the race. So, and it also made those training runs just that little bit easier sort of yeah. mentally and, and my recovery was better. It made me eat because I was practicing the eating as well every half yeah. hour. So I recovered faster. So, yeah, just kind of yeah, the, just thinking quite carefully about, about that time. As you say, if your job is about being on your feet, try and get the day off before the race. I mean, I, I yeah, that's a huge thing. I mean, if someone like myself, because I, I don't have to, um, you know, I don't work with my hands or, or have to be on my feet all day, um, for like two, three days before to try to persuade me to go up a step or anything is really, really difficult. I'm just going out, no, unless it's absolutely essential. I'm not going to use any energy. I want to rest my legs. And, um, but you know, if, if your job is being on your feet the whole time, that's a real disadvantage in those, in the, in the day before, especially a race. Yeah. So try to take the day off if you can. I know it's not always possible, but it will make a difference. Well, I've not gone on, on my feet job, so that's not too much of an issue, but I do have two young children and a husky, um, which uh, is definitely an on your feet job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then we'll just try and make your day as simple as possible the day before. Yeah. Um, and, uh, that will, it will really help. So with your taper, then you're not really running, you're not doing because it's, you know, with, with kind of marathon training plans and such, you tend to kind of obviously drop right off the last week, but there's usually a couple of short, often like moderate effort runs in and a run the day before thrown into most sort of taper plans. You're not doing that. You're just doing nothing. Yeah, I, I never, I've never run the day before a race. I do a normally about a one to two mile jog two days before okay. a race, yeah. and then in, in that same week I might do one five mile and that's it. Mm-hmm. So that, that last week for me, it was the same when I was doing marathons. I hardly did anything in the last week because to me it's not going to really give me any gain other than psychological it's too it's too late so so why do it you know there's a a very common thing in marathons we're on the tuesday because you've been doing your tuesday session every week so even marathon week you go and do a cut down um uh, interval session for me that just doesn't make any sense sure if you go and do a few strides or something if you want to feel sharp and it helps um kind of psychologically but you know really just just be as rested as possible going into a you know into a race especially an ultra especially yeah. something like a 24 hour but you know, do a good a couple of jogs it'll just help you feel loose and and but nothing that that feels so sort of strenuous would well but that's kind of what what works for me anyway um and then the rest of the taper is pretty similar to a marathon except you're coming off probably a I think three weeks out, I do like a 50K or something, which is just a higher, you know, you're at a higher base point. And four weeks out, it'll be something even longer. So, um, what was your weekly mileage looking at? at, 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 Sorry, what was your weekly mileage looking at at the sort of peak of training, roughly? Yeah, I'm not a big mileage person. Um, So, I'll do, I'll do like maybe one 100 mile week um, just for the because i'm close and i go oh i just gotta go <laughs> go out and run another two miles or something just to get to 100 miles um but normally kind of hard training for me is 
between sort of 70 and 90 miles a week. And mm-hmm. I'll, I'll do a lot of the sort of campaign at kind of 60 miles and then, then sort of 70 to 80 is, is normal. And then I'll have a few weeks, which are 90, 95 miles, but not a lot. I, I can't do that for like weeks and weeks and months and months. It just, I, I just can't tolerate the training. And, um, I, I, I find I, unfortunately, I wish I was, you know, Mo Farah and could go and have a sleep after my morning training run and, and, People would pay me and stuff, but it's you know, not deposit that. some cash into your bank account <laughs> yeah, while you're sleeping. Yeah, unfortunately, I have to. I have a life. I have to go and do other things, and um, so yeah, I'm trying to sort of do other things with my life as well. So I find once I get over like 80 miles, I just become a, a bit of a vegetable, and um, in other parts of my life, and I can do that for X number of weeks, but you know, I don't. I don't like to compromise on everything else for for too long. I know. Um, as I said earlier, I follow Zach Bitter quite closely. I know he did the Desert Solstice Track 24 back in January, February, I think that one is. And, um, you know, there was a fair amount of hype behind that because at the time he had the 100-mile world record. I was interested to see what he would do over 24 hours and, you know, it didn't go very well for him. And one of the reasons that he, he puts on the failure was that he just put way too much volume in and in the build-up. I mean, he was doing 200-mile weeks, um, wow. which is insane. And um, he reckons he just probably played with fire a little bit too much. And by the time he got to the track on the day, he was just sick of running around tracks, <laughs> even with a taper. And um, yeah. and that, that, that you know that was his undoing. If he'd done the same training as for his hundred mile, <clears throat> you know, he would have been fine. Mm. And but but also the twenty four hours a very different race to a hundred mile. And there's a lot of I mean, I'm not saying Zach better won't nail twenty four hour because he will. Um, but there's a lot of really good 100 mile races who never kind of get the 24 hour right because it is a if you're a kind of quite speedy 100 miler, there's a lot longer that you're going to be out there in a 24 hour. Mm. So you do have to adjust your pace. It's very different mentally. Um, and I, I mean, I know Zach, but it will get it right because he's he's done his 100 mile on the track and stuff as well, which 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 does help. But it does raise and that one other interesting point, which is, and you asked me earlier, how much running on the track did I do? And I, I did, I did maybe kind of, I did one very specific long run on the track, and then some shorter running for like an hour or two on the track. Um, but apart from the one sort of four-hour long run, I just did normal long runs in in, in flat places, so or on the treadmill, so just kind of keeping it flat because obviously the the twenty-four hour circuit's going to going to be going to be flat. Um, but there isn't really a need to just spend days and hours and weeks running around and around a track. And I, I think doing so would, would potentially cause that kind of, um, kind of wear or mental wear, you know, that, that you said Zach, uh, Zach experienced on that day. And there is an increased injury risk. Um, I mean, Norman, my, my coach, who's sadly uh, actually passed away about 10 days ago, which oh. um, some people will know so, about. Sorry so, about that. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Norman Wilson, a great, great man. Um, I mean, he actively didn't want me doing a lot of long runs on, on uh, the track just because he said the injury risk of the, the turns, it just, you know, it's just not necessary. Mm. So, so I would do one like good long run on the track just so you know you can. I think it helps mentally. But it's not necessary for anything other than that. I, don't I had to do one to qualify for the uh, Gloucester 24, and it was my first time. I think, well, probably second time running on a track since high school, um, yeah. and um, I actually really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. It was 50 miles, and or just short of 50 miles, 
and it was I had the track to myself. It was a perfect running conditions day. It was sort of cool, like twelve degrees, but sunny. Had a table set up with all my my drinks and everything, and just scooted around the track for a few hours and really enjoyed it. But I did find um, I actually changed direction at four hours because I know that that's that's sort of the common way of doing it. And I thought, well, I'll you know yeah. I'll, I'll copy that process. And I did find actually that it was really nice changing direction after doing those four hours mm-hmm. because just because obviously you're working muscles in quite a specific way when you're constantly doing clockwise or anti-clockwise yeah it's also quite surreal when you change and you go, whoa this is like the same kind of scene but from a different angle it's quite yeah. freaky uh, yeah. but yeah i mean you'll 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 do really really great in, in gloucester because if you can go and just do that run yourself like that and just kind of switch off to time and just kind of be present in just as you say have a jog around you're just going wow isn't this great i'm in this place i've got my drinks there there's just i'm just going to be be present and just do this and enjoy my running you're going to have a fantastic race in Gloucester. You really are, because that shows you've got that natural predisposition to be able to do that. Oh well, thanks. That's going to hopefully give me some confidence to do well as well. Then, when I'm when I'm in a world of pain at 14 hours, knowing there's 10 left, I'll remember <laughs> that Michael Stock said I'm going to do well, and I don't want to let him down. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll, I'll remind you closer to the race as well. So, yeah, but, uh, you're, you're um, can you talk great. a little bit about the hundred mile you just did then? Because as you say, didn't that didn't this is called trail and error. So we like to talk about the things that go wrong as well. I'm interested to sort of hear what happened on that day and, you know, what you put, you know, what your experience was then. Yeah, this is definitely the error part of the, <laughs> of the pod. Um, yeah. So hundred, hundred track mile, which actually the, that race was literally my dream race. It was the idea of having a, a 100 mile track race with only 15 people. So like an elite event. So there's, you're not going to have a lot of people on the track, everything set up for fast times, uh, the crew tents were in the fourth lane. So you got everything you need there. And James Elson at Centurion just puts on an amazing race. I mean, literally my perfect race. But uh, it, virtually everything that sort of could have gone wrong went wrong. Um, the first thing I did was um, I was trying the Nike um, Next Percent. Mm. And I've, I, I have pretty dodgy ankles. I've had uh, operation on both my ankles. And I know I need quite a lot of stability in my shoes. Uh, the longest run I did in those is 18 miles. And I was like, oh, well, no, no, they're, they're better than, you know, I tried the sort of the Adidas super shoes. I thought they're more stable than those. It'll be okay. Let me give it a go. Um, I should have done a much longer run, at least four hours or something, and then t- to test them properly. Um, and I just found after about four hours, my legs were just starting to turn to jelly. Um, I went to the loo and I tried to kind of do a slight turn and my legs just started collapsing. Mm. Um, and I just found uh, certainly they weren't stable enough for me. I mean, it's one of the reasons I'm now going off to strength and conditioning as well and taking that very seriously. So that will help. But so I, I, I ran in those shoes. I then ch- had the, I changed the shoes. I realized there was a problem. Um, already then I was kind of quite thrown. I was like, Jesus, not my day. You know, things are going wrong, that sort of thing. Um, I had, um, and there's something I'm about to write, why I've actually written a blog post that's going to come out quite soon about, um, which will sound like there's just death everywhere, but I lost my best friend to COVID um, a oh. couple of months before the race as well. And I think there's definitely a, 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 a significant um, impact that you carry both physically w- uh, and mentally from something like that. And um, so I've written a thing about, about kind of grief and the effect as I experienced it because um, physically – 
I was okay on that day. It definitely didn't affect me physically. When I was really tired and I had to go to that place where you go to where there's those extra reserves, it was just like there was nothing there. I was just, I was just knackered, tired. So I'm still trying to piece together all the things that happened, but it, it was, I never had a race like that where it was just that bad and where mentally I just didn't have it. Um, so that's one of the reasons. There's no excuses. You've got to get it right on the day. Um, but I think it was just sort of a multitude of things just didn't, didn't work out. Um, I did also, as I mentioned earlier, instead of running to fill, I was looking at my splits. I, I knew, I thought I wanted to run relig- religiously at sort of 7.25 to 7.30 pace, which was just wrong. I should have just been running slightly slower probably, or just more variable. So that didn't help. Um, so yeah, I think the key will be, you know, taking that away and, you know, learning from it and, and I've already entered for next year and I've got some unfinished business. And the one thing I'll be doing is just forgetting about the watch and just kind of running and enjoying it. And just uh, like you said on the track, just going, wow, this is fantastic. I'm just, isn't this wonderful? I am in this dream race. <clears throat> Let me just run to fill and just enjoy being here. And, um, you know, I was, I was trying to get an age group world record um, and I became maybe a little bit too obsessed with that instead of going, if I run like I know I can, the world record will come. Instead, it was like, oh, shit, the world record, the world record, the world record. Um, so, again, my, my mindset wasn't, wasn't right for, for, for the race. So what time is that to, then for the, your age group? Uh, it's 13.27 okay. uh, for the 100 mile, yeah, which how, how, is, is on. How, sorry, how quickly did you do 100 mile in the, in the um, track 24, though? Because one of the great things about your book is the chapter titles are, are, are times and distances, so you can kind of – assuming they're accurate, um, you can kind of look at your pace and see how it changes across the race. But it seemed to me that you'd done 100 in about 14 hours or 14 something or other. Yeah, it was 14 hours, 17. Yeah. So, yeah, so it wasn't the, it's not the maddest idea that I can do. And I mean, I was really tired then because you are, when you run 100 miles, it's a long way. Mm. And, you know, I'd really had a lot of, um, sort of struggle mentally and stuff by that point. But, but, you know, I managed to run for another 10 hours. Mm. So it's not the maddest idea that I can run under 13.27 for no, not at all, I would miles. Say. Yeah. And, I, and I went out to do that, and but it, it, it didn't work out for these reasons. And there's still, there's still something missing. There's still something I think I, I haven't figured out that that was just wrong on the day. I mean, there's little things as well. I'm, I'm normally very good at planning um, and being rested the day before. And we left home short, what should be like an hour and a half or hour, 20 minute drive from where I live in London to the race was four and a half hours mm. um, sitting in, in, in Friday afternoon traffic oh. because we, did, we weren't organized enough. We left home too late. We hit all the, all the late traffic. And I ended up eating at a quarter past nine, mm. trying to get a good meal, dinner in quarter past nine, the day before a race that was going to start at six in the morning when I was going to get up at like 2.30 or quarter to three. So just th- all of those things. And then you, you're sitting in the car going, shit, this is, you know, I'm not, I'm not feeling rested. I'm getting all this exhaust fumes. I'm, so, so I think it's a, you know, it's a combination of those things. And kind of if you reverse engineer that and get those things right next time, yeah, then then I think I'll I'll have a really good race. Um, so yeah, yeah, it just goes to show, doesn't it? When you, we talk about you know all the stars aligning on the day, it's not just mm. during the race these things matter. It's all the build up and you're kind of you know psychologically where you're at. Um, mm. 
and that's why that's the thing that's probably why I get a bit kind of tetchy in the taper week because I'm sort of aware of these things and when things don't go right in that week leading up to race I'm like god damn it this is gonna ruin my race <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly did, did you breathe on me did you whatever that's that second sleep I lost and yeah and we, we we're kind of we're sort of in our we've primed up for this thing and, and obviously there's it is important. I mean, it's, it, you know, it really is important. You put so much effort into it. And I think the important thing is to remember that most of those things don't matter mm. and to go, oh, that's fine. I'm just going to relax. Um, but to control the things that do matter, you know, like me leaving too late for the race and getting, getting caught in the traffic and spending an extra three hours in the car um, and arriving and eating it so late. And that, that's just, that was all controllable. Whereas, and I tried not to worry about them when they were happening, but you know, it's hard not to worry about those things. But all the other little things, the little niggles and pains you feel and the, the things that irritate us just to go, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm experienced enough to know that that doesn't really matter at the end of the day. So um, sometimes that works. Normally not. I'm still going to get irritated, but anyway. <laughs> um, final thing for me, I don't know if Jay's got anything else, but I'm just sort of interested to know about your nutrition um the strategy in these long races how you kind of keep manage that get enough fuel in without vomiting or getting you know stomach issues um it's a strange question we you know it's a question we often ask um guests on on podcasts or each other or whatever and it's such a personal thing to everyone it's not like you can really learn a great deal from someone's nutrition strategy because it is you kind of tailor it to whatever works for you but i'm always find new things to try though yeah you can definitely find new things to try and see if they work for yourself yeah 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 definitely and um yeah as you say it's everyone's different i I, i'm still trying to get this right and it is the one thing that if i get this right then i'm going to go quite a lot further and and better um because i I get a lot of nausea vomiting um in the the race in the book i i'm very nauseous for i don't know god i mean tooting after about seven eight hours i was feeling very sick and that persisted and makes it harder and harder to get anything down, whether any kind of liquid or, or food. And um, I've done some pretty spectacular vomiting. I mean, at the um, 24-hour world championships, I was very ill for about uh, sort of 10 hours. Um, and I literally just could not get anything past my lips even. I'd just be gagging. So it is, it is difficult. Almost everyone struggles with it in these kind of races. And you do just have to accept that you might, feel really ill and that's okay and you can still run just going to run feeling ill um one of the key things is to have a lot of strategies for food so you can have a, a good plan and go okay i'm going to have this gel and this drink and this whatever but then to have a plan b and as uh, Rini, the nutritionist in the gb setup says a plan c and a plan whatever for when plan c fails so to bring almost everything you ever ate <laughs> to the track or to your race um, so that you, you, cause something might appeal to yeah, you yeah. when nothing else does. I learned um, that lesson but- painfully a, a year and a half ago. Um, I had a plan A that was rock solid, absolutely perfect. <laughs> nothing had <laughs> ever it? gone wrong with it. And I locked in and I said, I'm not bringing anything new in because this is mm. me. I found my golden bullet and, uh, and, and, and it, and it shot me. <laughs> Um, and I puked yeah. and puked and puked and puked, which yeah. I won't talk about again. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that, that is a gem having multiple nutrition plans where you can go, do you know what today? Because a lot of it comes down to, um, gut microbes and, and how you, um, uh, metabolize food. 
and they've done laboratory tests on identical twins who, you know, obviously their DNA is almost exact. And under laboratory conditions, they've fed them the same meal and, and these two people have met, uh, you know, metabolized food in a completely different way. And so mm-hmm. when we're talking about food strategies, it really is a, a, a trial and error. Um, uh, oh, I've got our name wrong again. Um, a trial and error. <laughs> I get away with that. Um, experience, because what works on one day, like as we say, may not work on the next. And if you don't have a fallback plan, it's really the wrong time during the race to be trying multiple new things. You know, you have to practicing it as well, though, right? You got to practice yeah. it because as you have say, the variety. If, if it, yeah, the microbiome is so important. Then you're going to train that to metabolize the types of food that you think are good for maintaining your energy levels right and so you practice it um and i think probably i'm definitely guilty of not practicing nutrition enough i guess partly because you don't tend i don't tend to go on runs that are long enough to need any nutrition um you know maybe some long runs you might do it and maybe well some long some long runs you definitely should do it because it needs to be practiced but it's easily forgotten about you know yeah, I mean, there is a strong view, um, again, something Robbie Britton talks about, it's like kind of gut training. So um, because I, I I didn't used to eat on, I'd have like gel two on a 50K or whatever. And now I try to eat every half hour or, you know, every half, every 45 minutes or something on, on even a normal long run. And that's just to try to get more used to it because yeah. I have all these issues with nausea. So, um, yeah, I think that would be one, one thing. I mean, the, the other thing in the actual race is just to get your crew to write down everything that happens and everything you do eat because it's a learning process and you may only get one kind of chance to learn a year or maybe two yeah. if you're lucky. You can't do these races too often. So I, uh, Jane, my, my wife who crews me at all my races has a notebook and, um, after the race, we sit there and we go through, we go, okay, uh, did this, did that. Yeah, I was feeling sick at this point. Um, and we try to piece together what happened. Mm. And uh, so we can try to tweak it or change it the next time. Um, so that that's really helpful. That's a good tip. Um, mm. Yeah. And the other thing, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm now, have, I have a theory that, that that's the sugar that's kind of doing me. And obviously, it's also because your system starts to get pissed off and shut down and stuff. But I, if, if I if I sit and eat a giant bar of chocolate at home, um, I, I used to be able to do that 10 years ago without a problem, but now I do that, I, I feel sick. So why should I expect that suddenly in a race, I'm going to chuck all the sugary shit into me every half hour and I'm going to feel anything other than sick? Because I've also then got all the, the other things that I'm doing with yeah. my body at the same time. So I, I think having a bit of sugar is great, but um, at the I don't think this is what, screwed up the centurion track 100 but that went wrong but we were i was just eating savory foods so stuff like potato and stuff like that and that i think helped it wasn't perfect but i so i think for me so some people can tolerate the sugar no problem and if you can great because it's very easy it's very quickly accessible to your to your body but i think sort of maybe having some savory elements in there may help you even when you get to the point you go i can't I can't eat the sugary stuff anymore. Make sure you've got some savory in your bag, you know, with all that stuff um, that your crew can tempt you with or try to tempt you with. Um, yeah. Good tip. Yeah. And you know what? I've definitely been guilty of probably being quite single-minded with what I'm going to consume in races in the past. And I think, as you say, especially with a track race like that, with the crews there on standby and, you know, with space to have lots of different items, then why wouldn't you just bring 
the kitchen sink um, in case of emergencies. Yeah, I mean, maybe you, your favorite crisp, but bring things you love. So, um, I mean, in Tooting, I had my favorite crisps and whatever, which I was like, piss off, I'm not having those, I'm not going anywhere near those. But mm. maybe on another day, I would have been able to just get a crisp down. And I mean, I, I ended up just living on soup for many hours. And even the soup was an accident. Um, I bought a little bit of it, sort of just, oh, yeah, maybe whatever. But my crew had to go out in the middle of the night to go and buy more soup because I was, it was the only thing I could tolerate. Yeah. So it's the only thing. So, you know, now I know I bring tons of soup, even if I, I never need it. I bring tons of crisps, even though I probably won't be able to tolerate them. So soup, the things soup. you love eating, bring them. Soup's an interesting one, right? Because it's not very calorie dense, is it? But I guess no, you know, you're getting something in there, you know? It's something, yeah. And yeah. in tooting, I, I, mean, I, I had nothing other than soup for probably, I don't know, four, 14 hours, um, with a little bit of Coke as well. Um, so although it's not very dense, and yeah, it was amazing I could keep going on very little, um, but just enough to keep the blood sugar up, just enough to, to, to get into my system. But um, mm. yeah, so it's soup, take soup. You never know, just in case. <laughs> well, it is nice and comforting, especially in that wet weather. I bet soup felt great. Huh? Yeah, I know. Just that tiny little bit of warmth was, was a, real, a real gift. That's awesome. Thank you so much. That's yeah, well, fantastic. Yeah, fantastic. Really good really speaking to it. you. Thanks, and, um, yeah, just so much, so much great insight. Um, I think, well, obviously for me, but since I'm competing in the kind of events you excel in, but um, for anyone, I think in, you know, even you're running short trail races, I think there's some fantastic um, advice there and, and stuff to take home and <clears throat> implement into our training and our racing strategies. And I just love your whole sort of philosophy on running really, um, which really came across well in the book. So I would, encourage anyone um who enjoyed this podcast or even if you didn't enjoy it sorry about that um <laughs> to go out and buy the book you might enjoy that more <laughs> no it's a great book actually it is a good book um yeah. thanks for being so generous with your time michael and uh, really appreciate you coming on yeah i really enjoyed it thanks guys uh, if you're down in cornwall by the way look us up and we'll, we'll take you out on some local trails oh, fantastic countenance yeah Fan- brilliant fantastic <laughs> thanks Thank you for listening to this episode of the Trail and Error podcast. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to like, subscribe, and most important of all, share it with your friends and your family. Also, if you have any guest suggestions or suggestions for features that you would like to see on the Trail and Error podcast, please get in touch with us via our social media channels at trail underscore and underscore error underscore UK makes more sense when it's written down i promise you oh and we're on facebook too see you next time thanks for listening